But let me ask you a question. Uh, what are you thinking? Don't tell anybody, because we have to remain in each other's company. But uh, see if you can get in touch with what you're thinking uh, right now. Uh, I'll bet you're not used to that. I'll bet you if I said, what are you feeling, you would have an easier time. Uh, feelings are much easier to identify than thoughts. Uh, to think about what we're thinking really requires an effort, uh, but feelings are just there. I feel sad, I feel depressed, I feel joyous, all the rest. Uh, but to identify thoughts is a tricky thing. And uh, you might wonder why I'm even speaking about it. Well, because God does. Apparently, uh, thinking about what we're thinking is quite important from his point of view. And as a result, he had someone, the wisest person at least identified that way, that we know of, Solomon, write uh, this verse. It's in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. You know, we've been going through Proverbs, a skillfulness in living life, biblical wisdom. And so here's a word of wisdom from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. It's Proverbs 4, verse 23. You might want to turn there and uh, take a look at it. And it says this. Uh, I'm working on memorizing it, so I'm not going to peek. Tell me if I get it right. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Did I get it pretty close? Depending on the translation. That, that's what it says there. And you might be saying, yeah, but Stuart, you're talking about your mind and your thoughts, but this verse is talking about your heart. Watch over your heart. Ah, you see, but that's the tricky thing. Did you know in Hebrew, uh, the word heart uh, really represents your mind? We actually don't have a separate word for the two, so we use one word in Hebrew for both. Therefore, we could reread this verse uh, this way without tampering with the text. We could read it to say this, watch over your mind with all diligence, for from it flow the springs uh, of life. And, and so that's essentially what the text is saying. You know what it's saying? The heart of the matter is really uh, the matter of the mind. Another way to say it is this. Whatever is contained in a person's mind contains that person. So Solomon, being a wise man, would surely encourage good heart health, this organ, good cardiac Health. I suppose if he was today, he would be in favor of jogging and eating carrots and all that other kind of stuff. He would not diminish the importance of this organ. But what he's really calling our attention to is not this organ that beats. He's talking about this organ, the mind, which is a repository of all that we think. In fact, he says quite clearly, watch over it. Guard it. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. Pay attention to them. Do what we, I suggested we do earlier. Identify your thoughts, specify them, get in touch with them. Be aware of what you're thinking and guard your thoughts. So um, think about what you are presently in one way or another guarding. Uh, is it your home? Have you secured it with locks of various kinds? Is it your automobile? Is it 
Is it a, some special possession, even a loved one? Well, what is the particular thing or things you are uh, guarding? Uh, the reason why you are doing that is that you value whatever it is you're guarding. If it was of no value to you, you wouldn't care about it, but you guard it because you value it. Now, if that's true, and if God through Solomon tells us to guard our minds with all diligence, can you see how much that tells us about the value and importance, almighty God, places on our thought life. And so he specifically says through Solomon, watch over your mind with all diligence. Why does God say this? Why is such importance placed on our minds? It's because God knows, as it says here, that from the minds flow the springs of life. From one singular source, the mind, now you see plural, flow the various springs of life. What you are thinking, you see, determines what you are feeling, and what you are feeling determines how you act. There's no such thing as an out-of-context, isolated feeling. Feelings are generated by the thoughts that precede them. For instance, uh, if I felt unloved, odd, and that I didn't fit in. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, it would make me feel low, depressed. And if I felt that way based upon the thoughts uh, in my mind, the behavior I might choose is to stay away from a group such as this. If my thoughts are telling me, you don't fit in, and my feelings corresponding with it make me feel depressed, then I might behave in light of it and just isolate myself from contact with others as in an environment such as this. So what happens is thoughts lead to feelings and feelings lead to behaviors. And that's why God says the starting point for all that sustains and makes life meaningful is your mind. And so the same circumstance can befall two totally different people and based upon what they're thinking about it can generate entirely different feelings and behaviors. For instance, um, before the service, I had the privilege of crossing paths with Brother Skip, who's seated right back there, and he tells uh, this story, and he could do it much better than me. Brother Skip, forgive me if I get the facts wrong, but he was talking about an itinerant minister of old who ministered in uh, Georgia and contiguous states, and he was away doing his preaching ministry. When he came back, he was told that his wife had passed away, and he took off his hat. I think I'm getting this a little wrong, threw it up in the air, and he said, hallelujah, she is with the Lord Jesus. Now, that's a circumstance which could have been interpreted entirely different from someone else, by someone else. Someone else, when confronted with the same news, could have said, woe is me. I am a man undone. Now there is no life for me. I am separated from this loved one. 
And I have no assurance I'll ever see her again. But he chose to see this through the eternal perspective. It affected his thought life, his feelings, and it led to his behavior of rejoicing. Can you see how his mind was the starting point for feelings and behaviors? Now, I think I messed up the details of that story uh, but there's someone whose story won't be messed up tonight. Justine, I think this is a good time for you to join me up here. Uh, uh, I was going to interview this lady before the message, and Houston traffic got in the way. But I think God had a better idea, because what she has to say uh, directly relates to the point I'm clumsily trying to make. Thank you, Justine. Um, this is Justine Johnson. And Justine, are you new to Sagemont Church? I've been attending since I was in fifth grade, about. So I've been here for a while. So since fifth grade. And um, you're a believer. You're a follower of the Lord Jesus. Is that true? Yes, sir. And how did that happen? When did you come to know him? Well, I'd say I came to know the Lord um, when I was about four. I remember receiving him to my heart. But it wasn't until later on in high school at actually a journey conference over one weekend that uh, he really grabbed a hold of me and asked me what I was doing with my life and if I wanted to follow him and pursue him in, into the unknown, into adventures untold. So I was like, absolutely, Lord, you know, what, I've been, what have I been doing with my life? Take it, you know. So that was as a high schooler. Yes. And then you graduated and went on for more schooling. Tell us about it. I did. I'm a Fighting Texas Aggie, class of 2011. Um, <laughs> sociology major. And then I graduated. And the Lord led me to go off to medical school at Texas Tech University in Lubbock. Thank you for your enthusiasm for that, which is of no eternal consequence. But... So Justine uh, graduated from high school, uh, did undergraduate work, and then went to medical school, which means that we're talking to, tell me if I'm right, Dr. Justine Johnson. Doctor. I have, a, I have an MD, yes. <laughs> so so, so the, Justine is a medical doctor. By the grace of the Lord, yes. And these people are applauding because finally they found a doctor they think who's making house calls. <laughs> For my brothers and sisters, anything, absolutely. <laughs> so then, uh, tell me if I'm right about this. Uh, typically, after medical school, that's not it for doctors. They go on to do what? Residency, yes. Our lives are not our own. And uh, so you follow that course of action and went where to do your residency? Well, the Lord led me back home to Houston to come back through the Methodist hospital system and pursue residency in obstetrics and gynecology. And that is a story in and of itself, how God intervened to bring me back home to Houston. Um, and that's a story for another day. But yes, I'm here now. Uh, so uh, OBGYN residency here in town. And residency is tough. Uh, 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 we know about this, long hours and all the rest. But, yeah. but you could anticipate, you knew about that part, didn't you? I knew about that, yes. And I did live 14 and a half hour days for two weeks straight. Uh, so that, that was no surprise to you, but something one day was. Tell us about it. Absolutely. So two weeks into my residency, I finally got my weekend off. And um, 
one Friday, after you know checking out to the to the night team, I started having really really bad headaches. I actually almost passed out at work. The sweet medical students got me some crackers and water. Um, I went home, and over the weekends, the headaches didn't subside. I saw all of my parents that weekend, and they all said, you look really bad. So we are going to hydrate you, let you stay home, and just rest. And I know my mom said, you should probably, you know, can I take you to the ER? Just? And I was like, no, it's probably just stress. You know, it'll, it'll pass. It'll get better. So come Monday morning, um, I actually didn't get any sleep on Sunday night because of the headaches. They were so bad. And, you know, Tylenol and ibuprofen alternating didn't help. I almost threw up twice. All these things are signals that a doctor should know that something is not wrong. I mean, something is wrong. But unfortunately, I was a stubborn new baby doctor. So I was like, oh, it'll be okay. Drove into work, rounded on my patients. And then as soon as I was done, sat down at a nurse's station and started zoning out. And my, my resident that was with me was like, Justine, something is not right. Um, I talked to my upper level resident. I was handing in blank notes. She's like, what is this? Something is wrong. Um, and eventually I ended up in the ER. And as soon as I got to the ER, got into a hospital bed, I had my first seizure. And I was in the hospital bed. So praise the Lord, I wasn't driving you know, uh, to the hospital when I had that seizure. I could have killed myself and other people. Um, I wasn't at home alone over the weekend and had the seizure, so the Lord timed that perfectly. So, uh, you don't have a history of seizures. I do not have a history of seizures, that's correct. And uh, this was due to what? Why did this happen to you? So as soon as I was in the ER, they scanned me and they found a 2.3 by 2.7 centimeter mass. And then they had to give, um, they had to stick me into the MRI scanner to definitively say what was the mass. And it ended up being a hemorrhage. So I had a stroke. Um, and that was due to, eventually we would come to, come to understand that it was due to a developmental venous anomaly, which is a big word for a vein that didn't grow correctly and it kind of like tentacles out. Um, so that was what it was due to. It had hemorrhage, it had ruptured. And when you found out about this, and knowing about all the ramifications, being an MD, what were you thinking? Right. So the Lord is so funny, um, how he prepares us for what we're going to experience. And in medical school, I just happened to take neurology for a month, um, a month in January, I believe. And I had this incident in July of last year. And so... During my neurology rotation, I saw lots of patients come in with all kinds of, you know, stroke anomalies and lots of neurological deficits because of those. You know, so I was laying in bed in the ICU, just going through my head, what could possibly be, you know, after the surgery I could wake up, and this is the potential, these are the list of potential things that could happen when I wake up. You know, one, maybe I won't be able to speak, or, you know, maybe I won't be able to understand uh, the words that anybody else is saying. Or, you know, maybe I, I won't be able to walk. Or maybe, you know, my parents will have to feed me through my G-tube the rest of my life. Uh, maybe I'll be incontinent. So I was trying to come to terms with these things, you know, while I was in bed. And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, this is crazy. Um, didn't expect this, but God, you know what you're doing. And you haven't let me down um, up until this point. Who have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is no one besides you, so I have to trust you. So, um, weren't, you, weren't you angry? 
weren't you, you're a young person, you've gone through medical school, you have your whole future, and God allows this to happen. You must have really been upset with him. You know, in the, in the process of this, there's absolutely frustration. But with God, how could I be angry with the Lord? I mean, he had provided everything for me up till this point. You know, I went to medical school on full scholarship. My last year of medical school, I didn't pay for rent because he provided a place for me to live. You know, he had proven himself faithful every step of my life, you know. And just how rare this occasion was now, like, 2% of the population have DVAs, developmental venous anomalies, but there's only a 0.34% risk of hemorrhage per year in people that have these. And, you know, the location where this DVA was is such that, look, I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm not having my parents feed me through a G-tube today. You know, it's like incredible. But when I was, you know, when I woke up from the surgery and I realized that I could walk, I could communicate, you know, this is insane how the Lord spared my life. Um, you know, how could I be angry with him? You know, it was just another, another way for him to prove himself, um, prove himself faithful. And if the outcome was not, you know, as good as it was, well then, blessed be the name of the Lord. How can I deny him? You know, he just, he gave me no room to deny him. How he pulled me through, just amazing with my life. And um, are there residual effects? What are you aware of now? Well, right now, um, I would just say occasional word-finding issues, but those have gotten better over time, and praise be to God, I'm able to speak to you guys today without stuttering or trying to think of the words to say, which is a huge improvement. Initially, I had, like, mild right-sided weakness, but a month of PT, and I'm back to my, you know, um, body pump classes and uh, cardio kickbox classes, which my mom's probably not super excited about, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Justine, uh, pretty serious stuff. And uh, you're faced with challenges. What, for instance, what were you doing with your time last night? <laughs> well, that was fun. Yesterday I had what's called a cerebral arteriogram, which is where they uh, inject a bunch of contrast dye into your femoral artery while they're looking at your brain and the blood flow um, with a big CAT scan arm. So after that, I went home, I was feeling okay, then I started getting headaches and nausea, and again, I got a little bit nervous that, okay, well, I know this is probably because of all the dye they injected in me, but I remember that I judged wrongly the first time. So my mom and my stepdad came down, and we went to the ER. So I was in the Methodist ER last night, um, making sure that everything was okay. <laughs> and praise God, with a little bit of Regland, Benadryl, and Toradol, I'm fine. So it was good. <laughs> And uh, is there anything good resulting from this, which is, to me, seems bad? Are you kidding? I mean, I'm alive. I can testify to the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of our God. Um, praise the Lord. Absolutely. But one thing that he really, really drove home with me, I would say, um, is after the, after the surgery, you know, I usually pray before I go to bed. And all I could say was, golly, Lord, I have nothing to say to you, but thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And uh, one night while I was praying, I just saw him, you know, before me, like, and pointed to that little place where, where the hemorrhage happened. And it was like him saying, you know, truly I formed you in your mother's womb. Every day was written 
you know, for you and my book before one of them began. Fearfully and wonderfully are you made and I made you. And I made every season and time for your life. Um, nothing is out of place and nothing is by accident. And he also said to me, um, well, I heard, you know, and understood for the first time really what it meant to be bought with a high price, you know, that my life is not my own, you know. If not for the intervention of God um, and all of that, I would not be here. And what can I do but say, oh, golly, Lord, I don't own me. You know, I really don't. You, you bought me, like, eternally. You bought me physically. Um, so just put all that into an incredible perspective for me and has helped me live through a different and more clear lens, I feel. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, what does the future hold? What are you going to do? Oh, uh, well... Exalt the name of the Lord any, any chance I get, which is often because everyone seems to like my haircut. And I just say, it's my $168,000 haircut. Like it? Uh, that opens up a new can of worms and a testimony of the Lord. Um, but right now I'm working at Methodist in a different department. And I was just okayed yesterday by the big people up in the residency world to be added on to next year's class in July. So I'm going to be starting over. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, what would you do to have a doctor like this at a critical point of need? Can you imagine her sharing from her life experience about the richness of life and hope through the great physician? God bless you, Justine. Thank we are you, so Pastor. blessed to hear your story. Thank you so much. Please join me in. You know what we should do? We should pray. Let's pray for Justine. I know it'll mean a lot to her. Lord Jesus, we bow before you. Why not? You're high and lifted up, worthy of praise. And to hear that from one such as Justine, who's gone through so much, really strengthens the faith of the rest of us. You're available. Nothing takes you by surprise. Us, yes, you know and Justine has a deep conviction that she owes you every bit of her life. She has surrendered every aspect of it to you. And you could use what we call good times and bad times for your glory. That's her desire, not to be a doctor, to have a platform by which she brings glory to your name. Thank you for sparing her life. Please elongate it until the time of your return so that she could speak healing into people's lives, minister to them physically, and even more importantly, in terms of spiritual healing, reconciliation with you, a most holy God. Thank you for embracing, adopting, and redeeming this precious one. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Justine. We love you. Um, see how she's walking up the steps? Not to be taken lightly. It wasn't always that way. Well, I heard Justine's story at the uh, 20th um, reconfirmation of marriage of the wonderful Hoffmans here. I've known Justine for some time, but I didn't know her story. And I thought, oh, my heavens. Uh, you need to hear it, and especially because it fits with the text I've been uh, struggling through a little bit tonight. 
because another kind of person, equally of value to the Lord, I'm not judging anybody, might have interpreted and translated this surprising event in a much different way than Justine. But because in her thought life, uh, she filled her thoughts with thoughts, truth, consistent with biblical truth, uh, she's rejoicing, uh, glorifying God, uh, purposefully uh, being useful to him, not moping, not being depressed, not being paralyzed in any way, healthy, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and ready to tell her story to anyone who will listen. Folks, uh, I don't want to make us like Justine. We're all unique. I just wanted you to see a literally real-life illustration of how a rough life circumstance, when processed through the biblical grid, could lead to smiles and joy and purposeful rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the truthfulness of Proverbs 4, verse 23? Watch over your thought life with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. God bless you, Justine. Thank you for sharing God's story in your life. So folks, what we think determines what we feel and how we, how we behave. Uh, thoughts lead to feelings and then feelings lead to behaviors and a very wise, all-knowing God is aware of this. Therefore, he says, watch over your mind. Here's an illustration of, I think, what this verse is saying. It's not mine. I read it somewhere. It's very helpful. Imagine a village somewhere remote in the mountains whose only source of water is a um, beautiful spring-fed lake. And from it, uh, all living things are sustained, human and animal. It's for washing. It's for irrigation and all all the rest, that one source of water, imagine, sustains everybody's life. And because it is alone, the one life-sustaining resource in that particular area, don't you see that that spring-fed lake is essential and of much value? Therefore, every attempt is made to protect it from any kind of pollution. And that's exactly, I think, what God is getting at in this verse. This mind is the singular source of all that sustains our life. And therefore, because it is so important and so life-sustaining, God says, I want you to guard it and protect it and keep it from all sources of pollution. So folks, once again, to go back to what I said earlier, uh, you're laboring under this terrible stronghold. I don't fit in. I am different. If people really knew me, they would not only not love me, they would be repulsed by me. I have to keep secrets. I cannot be transparent. I must not ever let people know who I am. Can you imagine the feelings that are produced by that line of thinking? depression, the doldrums, unhappiness, and all the rest. And as I mentioned earlier, it would lead to all kinds of behaviors. What if, on the other hand, this was the thought experience of a person? God loves me. 
unconditionally, irreversibly. His love is an in spite of kind of love. His love is an informed love. Uh, I have no secrets from him. He knows all that which is true about me. He knows my flaws and defects. He knows even of my inclination to sin against him, and yet he will not let me go. He has enveloped me with his loving arms, and I can never evade his loving grasp. He'll never leave me. Can you imagine that flow of thinking? How does that make a person feel? My good night, you can find yourself being pumped up uh, psychologically, emotionally, and all the rest. And if that's how you feel, it would affect your behavior, wouldn't it? You would feel like you belong, even in a fellowship like this. You would not feel like the odd man or woman out. You would say, in spite of the fact that if that person I'm seated next to knew me, that person would reject me, it doesn't matter that much because I have the most outstanding acceptance message from the one who matters most. Can you see how our thought life is what generates our feelings and our, it's a wellspring from which everything else flows and therefore God essentially says the quality of our lives uh, is really dependent on the quality of our thought life. Uh, therefore, our thought life must be guarded above all else that we have. Solomon, very wise man, said that our thoughts will control our life and therefore, unless we learn how to control our thoughts, we'll never be in control of our lives. So what then specifically does it mean to watch over as we are mandated here? What does it mean to watch over your mind? Well, when you guard or watch over your house, doesn't it mean that you are trying to keep some things in and some people or things out? Well, that's exactly what it means to watch over or guard one's mind. It means to exercise by deliberate effort and discipline. It means to uh, focus on keeping certain things out, thoughts contrary to the mind of Christ, and to keep in those thoughts which are in harmony with the mind of Christ. And so you may have had these thoughts from time to time. We all do. I'm worthless. I am despised. I'm hopeless, I'm different, I am alone, I'm unlovable. It's a free country, you're entitled, if you'd like, uh, to harbor any and all of those thoughts. And you might even have, in your developmental experience, some justification for uh, thinking those things and feeling that way. But what if those thoughts are not consistent with God's thoughts about you? and you still harbor them. Could I hurt you just for a second and tell you that's no less a sin than any other? To cherish, to hold on to uh, those thoughts which are inconsistent with the mind of Christ is so contrary to his will, it's as sinful as an overt commission uh, of sin. And so God says, don't do it. Keep out those things which are not consistent with the biblical perspective. So as we kind of draw to a close, I want to give you a very simple, I hope not simplistic, but simple 
strategy uh, for having victory over our thought life. And if you remember three words, each that begins with the letter R, uh, I, I think you'll be able to remember this and do it. First, recognize what you are thinking. Uh, most of us um, are pretty lazy thinkers. So whatever happens to pop into our mind, we just invite it to do so. We do not challenge it. And as a result, we generally don't know what we're thinking. I remember when my kids were young, I used to apparently say something to them quite often because we were all together, my three boys and I the other day, and uh, they thought it was a good time to just have fun with some of the things I used to say to them when they were young. And uh, so they said, yeah, Dad, Dad, you remember? He used to always say when we did something out of line, he used to say, what are you thinking? He, he, I said, I didn't, I didn't say it. Dad, you said it all the time. Whenever we did something we shouldn't do, that was your first thing. What are you thinking? And I thought to myself, you know, but that's a good thing. <laughs> uh, uh, I, hope, I hope we hear our Heavenly Father saying to us, what are you thinking? So we have to practice the discipline of thinking about what we're thinking about. And you can know that something's wrong with your thought life based upon what you're feeling. Uh, listen to me. Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has given us a joy and peace and goodness. and This is a fruit of his spirit. So when those things are not happening, when we're feeling things which are contrary to what his spirit in us produces. There's good, good reason to back up and start thinking about thoughts that may have led to those feelings. So the first thing to do is to recognize what you are thinking. And then the second step uh, also begins with the letter R, reject the thoughts that are simply not God's. I am worth less. Now, how could that be right? If the redemption prize to get us was none other than the blood of God's only begotten son. How in the world could God make a mistake of paying so much for a worthless piece of junk? So if that's what I feel about myself, that is absolute, that's an insult to almighty God who bought me with a price, the blood of his own son. So I recognize the thought and then I must reject it if it's absolutely inconsistent with the mind of Christ. Those are not God's truths. And if they're not God's truths, could you please tell me, who do you think is supplying those thoughts? How about the father of lies? So I have to recognize what's in there, and I have to, by a deliberate act of the will, reject what has no place there, because it's not emanating from God's spirit. It's spirits of different, different kinds. So recognize uh, reject, and then the third step. Look, it's simple. Replace. Replace ungodly thoughts, thoughts that are inconsistent with God's mind. Replace them with those thoughts that reflect his mind about us. So I want to do a little experiment. You may be doing this already, um, but if you're not, I'll give you permission to. Would you think about your favorite food right now? Whatever it is. Just kind of, it's easy to do this because that's just the way we are. What would you like to just chomp into right now or is when we finish in an hour or two? It'll seem that way. Think about it. I mean, is, is it like a bacon double cheeseburger? Is it a big old chocolate bar? What is it? Anybody? What do you say, Jolly? 
Persian, Persian kebab? You just ruined my appetite for my cheeseburger. <laughs> Whatever it is. Do you got that in your mind? Whatever it is, even Persian kebab. Go right ahead. And now I want to ask you to do this. Stop thinking about it right now. How you doing? You flunked. You cannot do that. You cannot turn off a thought. Here's what you have to do. You have to replace it with something. There's no such thing as stop thinking about that. It has to be stop thinking about that by replacing that thought with another. So this third step is hugely important. So if you're thinking... God cannot forgive me. I'm in life alone. He may have forgiven others, but not me. I have outsinned his grace. I'm not like all the rest of the people, and I'm damaged goods, and so on. If someone said, if you said to yourself, I gotta stop thinking, you're not gonna be able to do that any more than Jale's able to stop thinking about Persian kebab. So what you wanna do instead is substitute something. You wanna replace erroneous thinking with with that which is true. And what is the repository of that which is true? It's called the Bible. Folks, (laughs) in the Bible, we have God's thoughts on paper. The Bible is the reflection of the mind of almighty God. So when we encourage each other to do Bible study. It's not just to become informed about biblical data. Folks, it's to be saved from bondage to thoughts that are from the pit of hell and that are killing us and extinguishing the fire. I have got to dip into the treasure house of truth confined to the pages of the 66 books of the Bible so that I can use it to replace erroneous thought, for instance. So recently, I've been overwhelmed by a certain situation. And uh, I know I ought to know better, but we're all, we're all humans here. And so uh, I've, I've just let my thought life take control. And basically, it went this way. You're in this alone. There's nobody going to help you with that. You're just going to have to deal with it. Nobody cares. Nobody knows. Nobody is going to help you. You got to do it. Uh, I'll tell you where I got that. When I grew up, I had, in many respects, a great dad. But he was a troubled, unregenerated dad. And therefore, he came under the influence of alcohol. He was addicted to it. And it so consumed him, he couldn't be the dad a young boy needed. So I had to learn at an early age, you better rely on yourself. Because your dad can't be there for you. In fact, you have to be there for him. You got to be the father to the dad because the dad can't be the father to the child. So I grew up that way. So even now, I don't automatically think of Heavenly Father being there for me. Uh, The reason why I'm not ashamed of this is because you're the same way. So I'm just speaking to equals here. Um, And so uh, my initial reaction 
is for that pattern of thinking uh, to take root again, unchallenged. See, I'm not doing the first step recognizing. I'm just letting it be there, take control. And what does it do on an emotional level? It makes me discouraged. It makes me depressed. It makes me angry, whatever the deal is. It makes me frustrated, disgusted, makes me want to isolate, makes me distrust, whatever it is. And then what behaviors does it lead to? Well, in extreme situations, it used to lead me to do the same thing my father did. I would anesthetize the pain by drinking and drugging. I don't anymore. But I, but I mean, I, it could do that. You see, that particular behavior was driven by feelings which were generated by the wrong thinking. So I realized that's what I was doing. And God's Spirit called upon a verse of Scripture I had memorized. Listen to it. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my possessive pronoun, right? My rock and my fortress and my, look at the my's, don't you just love it? And my deliverer, my God. My rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I recognized the thinking. I rejected it as being absolutely inconsistent with truth. I replaced it with truth. And different feelings and behaviors were generated. Like that. I had the joy of the Holy Spirit. I had peace. And I was reminded, I'm not in this thing called life alone. In spite of the experience I had as, as a child, which still affects me, I got all that. I've been adopted into a new family by a heavenly father who's the perfect dad nobody here has ever had. And he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, I could lay hold of him by use of the repeated uh, personal pronoun, my, 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 my. Yeah, you want to hear this? What it says, uh, the Lord is my rock. And you see this, my fortress. Want to hear what the Hebrew word is for that? Tell me you do. Okay, thank you so much. It's my masada. That hit me. If you've been to Israel and been to Masada, it's a desert stronghold, a fortress. You know what that verse said? That's how God is. He's like a fortress, a stronghold. He's your Masada in the midst of the onslaught in the throes of life. Alone? Are you kidding me? This is who God is for you. Just chewing on, meditating on, reflecting on, feeding on that morsel of truth from God's word changed my whole emotional state of affairs. And then my behaviors. I didn't drink anything. I didn't smoke or snort anything. I didn't overeat, overconsume. Uh, I, 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 I did not punch my wife. Uh, I, I did not stay away from church. I didn't do any of that stuff. I rejoiced. What is the root of it all? Thought life recognize what you're thinking. Reject it if it's inconsistent with truth. And replace it with that which is true. It's hard work, even as I speak about it. My goodness, it's hard work. Guarding the mind is very, very difficult. But don't despair. How could it be 
that God would require this of us and not enable it. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He doesn't command us to do that, which he doesn't enable us to comply with. If Proverbs 4.23 is in here, and it is, then I have assurance that God will enable me to do this and to have victory over my thought life. Look, folks, a Christian. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is someone who's accepted Christ as personal Savior. But here's the reality. That very Christian may not be accepting the thoughts of Christ about him or her. And that makes that Christian defeated. Though that Christian is this close to victory in Jesus. Folks, I don't do Bible study (laughs) uh, to learn stuff. I do Bible study to survive life. I need God's truth to counterbalance the lies of the evil one, the lies uh, lies I've accepted, uh, to, to interfere with strongholds and patterns of thinking in my life that are leading me into despair and depression. You know what the Bible says? The mind set on the spirit is life and peace, but the mind set on the flesh is, do you know how it ends? Death. Death. And this verse says, (laughs) the source of life-sustaining and generating uh, characteristics is the mind. So here's our goal, as someone has said, let the mind of the master be the master of your mind. I want to uh, commend to you scripture memorization uh, because that way the word of God is always, always there. So I've had a challenging time these last few weeks and days and all the rest. and It's new territory for me and um, I don't exactly know how to deal with it. And there's pain involved. Not anything like what Justine has gone through and so many of you, but we're entitled to our own pain. And then I memorized this passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul said, therefore, we do not lose hope. Why not? For though the outer man is decaying, and it are, the inner man is being renewed for momentary light affliction. I got so mad at Paul when I read that. How dare you tell me what I'm going through is momentary and light. But then as if he smacked me around, I got the message. In comparison to the glory of unending heaven, it is momentary and light. Paul says, for momentary and light affliction is producing for us, get this, an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So I look to that situation in my life that is uh, rough and difficult and all the rest. And and I didn't handle it, Justine, as good as you did. I have gotten angry at God and persisted in asking him why, 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 that kind of thing. We don't don't ever get a good answer to that one. And that one passage of scripture got me. The outer man is decaying. There is a dying of sorts. 
But the inner man is being renewed. And what's happening is not haphazard, arbitrary, cruel winds of fate. A sovereign and good God who bought you with a price is using this to perfect the inner man and prepare for you an eternal weight of glory. Folks, uh, I memorized it, not because I'm spiritual. I memorized it because I'm weak and prone to be carnal. I memorized it because my mind is so conformed to the so-called truths of this life. I have to recognize that. I have to reject lies. And I need something to put in its place. Therefore, I commend to you, memorize Scripture so that you could have it all the time. The mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. I'm so glad to be saved from the penalty of my sin. But that's not all. I'm saved from a sin-sick, carnal, deceived mind because we have the mind of Christ Jesus. And from it flow the springs of life. Justine is an example. I shouldn't do this. I don't want to cause you to stumble. But when I heard Justine's story, I said, man, Justine, this stuff must work. Look at you. You're rejoicing. You're giving God the glory. You have a greater passion to tell people what he's done in your life than ever before. You haven't fallen below the line of despair. You don't think the cruel winds of faith called the shots. You think your heavenly father who sees the end from the beginning allowed this to happen for a reason. You don't have it all spelled out, but somehow you're confident that his purposes are good. And I say, good night. Then there's hope for me. It's a mind thing. Is this positive thinking? No way. This is biblical thinking. I don't want to think positively. You could be positively wrong. I want to think biblically. Folks, I commend to you the reading of Scripture, the study of Scripture, and the memorization of Scripture. Not just to impress people, <laughs> but to be saved from bondage to a carnal, erroneous thought life that's driving many of us as Christians into deep depression, uh, interrupted sleep patterns, all kinds of anxiety symptoms, lack of peace, no joy, no life force. Folks, the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Lord Jesus, we get it. You got it and gave it, and we're getting it. Not too fast, but we're getting it. Lord, we're growing into this new thing. We're finding victory, Lord Jesus, in you by doing things your way. God, thank you for reminding us to start with the starting point. It's our mind. It's our thought life. Oh, God, help us to guard it just as you command with great tenacity, the likes of which we would manifest with regard to anyone or thing of value. Oh God, help us to be more aware of what it is we're thinking. Help us to recognize our thoughts. Help us to reject those that are not consistent with truth and help us to replace it with thoughts that are true. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us not only from the penalty, presence and power of sin, but also from defeat. It's not inevitable 
No way, Lord Jesus. We can rise above even this side of heaven, and it all starts with our thought life. Thank you so much for showing us how to live. Thank you for this bit of wisdom from the book of wisdom. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.